Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I am Mikey. And we are back with our like post-Twin Peaks proto-lynch. Proto-lynch? Like early lynch. Uh, work. So we watched uh, Blue Velvet today. We did. I had never seen it before. In fact, I knew literally nothing about it, except for that Isabella Rossellini was in it, because I saw that one Friends episode when Ross tries to fuck Isabella <laughs> Rossellini. Yeah. And the only thing I remember from, like, th- that is my first reference to Blue Velvet, because I literally have in my head, like, hey, Isabella, big fan, loved you in Blue Velvet. And it's somebody making fun of Ross doing that. Anyway... So, Mikey, how many times have you seen this book? Uh, I don't know. Um, this is probably the fourth time. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Like, I've definitely seen it a few times, but most of Lynch's catalog outside of Twin Peaks, I haven't, like, watched a million times. Yeah. Mulholland or Lost Highway is probably the most, but mm-hmm. probably Mulholland is five or six times. Sure. Lost Highway probably four times. Mm-hmm. This one's probably my third or fourth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so I, like I said, I didn't really know anything about it other than sort of its timeline and the fact that a lot of the Lynch regs were yeah, were, were showing up here. Yeah. Um, the lifers. Yeah, exactly. So you immediately, upon the end of the movie... I would say yelled at me. Did you love it or did you hate it? Because <laughs> that's the thing. I have you could go so many of these types of movies. You could go either way, and usually do. Do you mean you being just like me specifically, or just you a, a, a watcher? We we watch a weird you just think movies, my particular, and, and your your reaction is always, "Oh my god, I fucking hated every second of that," or "That was so fucking weird, I loved it." Yeah, those are your two reactions every time, and so, it's. So I will, and obviously spoilers abound. We assume you've watched this or don't care about spoilers if you're listening to this. I will say right up to like the last act, I was like, I don't. It's not that I disliked it. And I I think I will always say that Lynch is one of my favorite actors, directors, in terms mm-hmm. of like, I just love the performance he gets out of every single mm-hmm. person on that screen. I genuinely love it, yep. especially like you can kind of tell the people he works with versus the people who are just like the wooden background people. Sure. Um, so I thought the performances were all incredible up until this scene where Kyle McLaughlin reenters the the apartment to find the yellow man and the whoever else it was. The husband? Like the end? The very end? The very end. Yeah, that's the husband. Was that the husband? Yeah. Oh, I actually had no idea who that was now that I think about it. But just like this sort of vignette it painted for me, I found I was thrilled. I just, it was so, it was exactly what I look for in a Lynch well, thing. And, and he slaps the light. He just has that flinch. Of, yeah. Oh, so good. But God, that scared the shit out of me. Like, I did you see me? I fully it's jumped out of, yeah, my, out, of my, out of the couch. Uh, yeah, it's But very the effective. second I saw the yellow man that, like, you described as teetering, which is perfect, of mm-hmm. like, and at first I was like, I don't understand if he's alive or dead or what's going on. And I was like, this is what I am looking for in a David Lynch film, mm-hmm. is this sort of macabre with a twist. Yeah, and I think part of it is a little bit like, Prior to, what is this, 84? That's six, I think. 86? Prior to... Oh, yeah. Should I do some of the um, 
credits. We've not done that before. Uh, if you want. Um, written and directed by David Lynch, at, um, Angela Badalamenti. Is this their first collab? I say collab as if I know um, fuck all about anything. Probably. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, cinematography is Unless Frederick Unless there's short Elms. film stuff that he... Yeah, Fred, and he shot half of Eraserhead. Okay, and uh, it was edited by Dwayne Dunham. Who is the Twin Peaks primary editor. Is and Okay, yeah. so this is really... Yeah, I mean, he works with a lot of the same crew. Yeah, it's him yeah. gathering his crew in this. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I'm actually excited to read through the plot. Sure. I what I was what was I saying you so you mentioned oh I super stomped on whatever you're gonna say I'm sorry yeah, um I have no idea what I was saying it was a really really great point though and I remember it was gonna be incredibly important it unlocks the key to you know or it's the key that unlocks yeah. all of David Lynch's works and you just lost it like that and I just yeah you like Chris something. Rock and Dogma yeah. Jesus told me the secret to the resurrection and I got drunk and forgot it <laughs> um. <laughs> Shit, what was I going to say? Do you want me to go back and... Oh, no, I was just going to say, so this took place, or this was made in, you know, the mid-80s, and this idea of, like, this psychosexual, violent, like, sadomasochistic... Mm -hmm. Borderline pornographic. Yeah, was just unheard of outside of actual pornography. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, this, this was a mainstream film. And that stuff, so like part of it is that this isn't new territory for you and whatever watching it. Like, I think it helps to either have watched it years ago mm -hmm. or watch it when you're probably a little too young to watch it. Sure. And then you watch this movie and it's, you're having the reaction that he's having of like, what the fuck is this world I'm, yeah. I'm falling into? Right. And like, I'm really really intrigued until all of a sudden he's stuck in it and then it's mm -hmm. terrifying mm -hmm. and it's that's kind of the what the movie is like the whole movie is like everything in fucking david lynch's works um you know an exercise in duality mm -hmm. of the the light side the dark the oh, light yeah, versus dark it's and versus the, yeah the the beautiful like it's it's there's a statement on i think what i like is the statement on the, this idea of the good old days but never really was mm -hmm. like it's it's a modern day movie it takes place in its time of the 1980s or whatever but like that fire truck that drives by in the beginning and his dad watering the lawn all yeah. that shit looks like the 1950s yeah the fire truck had like a Dalmatian riding yeah, on it yeah and then we pull into the ground and Just see all roses. the cockroaches yeah. like crawling around and shit and it's not just showing yeah it is showing the you know oh this is the Dirty underbelly. underbelly. But I think there's a bigger statement of these good old days that you always talk about weren't fucking... Mm -hmm. It's this idealized things you fucking made up. Yeah, Awful shit was happening everywhere all the time and you just chose to forget that part. And I think there's a, 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 a truth, you know, this whole... It's a very... It's, you know, the conservative idea of like, oh, go back to good old fit. But like right. shit was awful back People then. Living, yeah. Hand and it's house. I think that's there's a statement on that in, mm -hmm. you know, in all of this. Yeah. Um, John Hodgman, who is a podcaster I, I listen to a lot. He has this sentiment that um, nostalgia is a toxic impulse. 
And I don't necessarily agree with him that across the board it's true, but I I realize. I, so last night I um, got dinner with it was my friend Anne's birthday, and we met working together eight years ago mm-hmm. in 2013. And so we're far enough removed from it mm-hmm. that she and I were having conversations about like feeling really nostalgic about this job that we hated and everybody hated. And we were underpaid and overworked and treated like shit. But now, only eight years later, what I remember is that somebody would go to CVS and buy, sure. like, a rack of beer at 3.30 p.m. every Friday, and we would sneak up to the roof, and I was friends with everybody I worked yeah. with, and we would, you know what I mean? Like, but, And that's that's humanity, is yeah. your brains are wired to forget that awful shit, or to move past that and put... You know the shit you want to remember right. is is the positive stuff, but like, but then I have, there's the flip side of that of like those movies that you watch, and you're like ah, oh, and you're like oh, this movie's terrible, but I still love it because it's mm-hmm. like it's it it isn't always like a ne- a toxic thing. It, it can also be a good thing if right. like you're making things better than they were, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, no, I think that's fair. Um, and it's just something I've been thinking about a lot about. Yeah. about. No, that's an interesting and, statement, but it's true. Like, I mean, memory is such a fucked up thing. Yeah. All the it, way it's, around. Uh, there's, I'm, I, I'm, I might have brought it up already. There's a podcast I listen to called Bad People. It's a BBC podcast. And one of the, it's two hosts. One's a comedian. One's um, a, like, doctor of psychology. Mm-hmm. And her doctorate was based in, I, I'm sure I'm repeating this, but based in basically convincing test subjects like planting memories and te- mm-hmm. test subjects mm-hmm. of like oh my mom your mom was telling me about the time you got arrested when you were 14 and they're like what are you talking about and the more she talks to them yeah. and the more she the the language that oh, she yeah, uses that sounds right i think yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and then yeah. all of a sudden you build off that um Be- but what's interesting about that too is not only like you can absolutely just plant false memories but also like you can actually recover a legitimate actual repressed memory that Mm -hmm. same almost that same way Mm -hmm. you know like or yeah and it's yeah you don't repressed memories are a weird thing you don't know yeah Yeah, like knowledge is such a weird thing of like you think you know something like i could swear to the death that i did something happened the other day where i said something and you were like that was funny you said this and i was like there's no way i said that like yeah you said Something and I was like, no, because I was thinking of and I was picturing. Oh yeah, this. I remember this. I remember. Yeah, I don't remember what. Something about a hat, I think. And I was like, I wasn't thinking hat. I was thinking. Oh, you just said the wrong word. Yeah, I said the wrong word. It wasn't even like you said a phrase. It was just you substituted word because you were thinking. Believe you, but for the life of me, I would. I would have bet everything I own that that's not what I said. Memory is horribly tenuous. It's it's frightening. Um, so, uh, any other thoughts or do you want to jump in? I'm kind of stoked to dive through this plot. Yeah. Because I, I, mean, I, I feel yeah, like I, there were things I missed. Probably. Mm-hmm. Because I'm such an... At one point during a lot of important exposition, you were shopping, so... <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> was it? Yeah. I was See, not shopping. When remember. was I shopping? I don't know. You were looking at pants. Pants? You were on your phone looking at pants. Are you gaslighting me? I, no. Is this me being gaslit? Mm. 
100%. I, I mean, maybe you weren't shopping. You were just looking at pictures of pants, but... I mean, I do love pants. One thing everyone knows about Don't me... Don't you hate pants? <laughs> okay. I hope you First of all, how dare you? Pants. I was really proud about about how I how well I paid attention today. And I thought you would give me but some it's, credit But the problem is that. it's the parts where you don't or you tend to drift away, which is all movies are two people sitting at a table having a conversation, but that's where you get all your exposition. But I, I can listen. Yeah, but... Not if I'm shopping for pants, apparently. I have to fire on all cylinders for yeah. pants shopping. Okay. College student Jeffrey Beaumont re- returns home to Lumberton, Lumberton, North Carolina. Oh, okay. We were discussing that. We didn't know where it was I, like, to I know place. it's Lumberton, and which is not a real town, I don't think. Um, um, let's find out. But I know it is. It is a real is city. It? It's in Robeson County, North Carolina. Oh, I thought it was just a, like Twin Peaks, just a made up small town, you know. It's the North Carolina's Inner Banks re- region. Um, how Heard it in 1787, Michael. Can you believe that? I was going to guess around 1786, 87. Well, you do know the history of the word Lumberton, right? Sure, sure. Did a ton of lumber. <laughs> I was going to say a town of lumber, but you did better than me. Yeah, there's more, more. There's a lot of lumber. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was okay. And I do want to kind of put a pin or put a flag in the fact that I really enjoyed seeing, like I said, it was kind of proto Lynch. I, I should more realistically, it's proto Twin Peaks because there's a lot of little like moments that are like, oh, yep, yeah, he's that again. Or, oh, here's a thing he's like. This is my first time seeing this use of a thing that oh, is yeah. going to be a lynch. You start seeing thing. lynch motifs. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and what was Julie Cruz a singer or was it just mm-hmm. a Julie Cruz sound like? Okay, that was there, she. There's when they're dancing. That's a Julie Cruz. Song. Okay. Yeah. Are Julie Cruz and Battlementi tied together? Like, do you know where she I mean, came from? There's a a lot of stuff that they. Lynch writes stuff. He John Neff writes stuff. Julie Cruz will sing, but Lynch will write lyrics for her. Mm. Battle of Menti wrote. So I think they all just kind of work together. But she does her own stuff. But do you uh, okay. as far as I, I think I'm she just curious ha- how like releases she... her own albums, but also like falling and into the night and all those right. kinds of things are on her record. So sure. like, yeah, I think it's you know she's just kind of a muse for him. Okay. Um, so, uh, Jeffrey Beaumont, who is Colin McLaughlin, uh, he returns home after his father suffers a stroke, which that was my immediate thing. It's like, I don't know what's wrong with this man. Cause he grabbed his neck mm-hmm. when he was, um, uh, watering the, and I even asked you like, what's wrong with him? And you didn't answer me, which. Cause I was just remembered it being a heart attack, but a stroke makes sense too. It felt like a heart attack, but he was grabbing his neck, which I've never seen. But uh, I, I, like, I, I thought of it like. My thought was that because he's got the hose and he kind of didn't know what to do with mm. his hands and it kind of. Oh. But, regard, yeah, either way, he. Yeah. Yeah. As anyway. an, an ailment. So, so Jeffrey comes home uh, to help his dad run the. the um, hardware uh, shop. Hardware shop, thank you. Um, as Jeffrey's walking home from the hospital where he's visiting his dad, he cuts through a vacant lot and he finds a human ear. Because he yeah, was, they, they set that up in a kind of a cool way. Where I he really picks yeah. up a rock, throws, tries to throw it at the bottle on the way in. Yeah, and then on the way home does the same. So it kind of sets up the idea of like why, why he'd be he... looking through yeah. the, the grass. 
I feel like this is going to be the kind of movie that I enjoy a lot more in hindsight. Probably. Than I did. I like, think I think that my second viewing was infinitely yeah, better than that's my initial. Because it is. It's there's a lot of a lot of the important characters are never really even shown, like her mm-hmm. husband and her husband, son yeah. and um things like that. Um but yeah, there's so. there's int- um interesting story I thought was fun about um the ear is the makeup artist, I don't remember his name, um, was working on a bunch of prototypes and stuff because Lynch wanted, he wanted a, some like an opening, something that you could go in a, a body part. So he didn't want it to be like a finger or something mm-hmm. like that. He wanted something you could go into and, you know, the ear canal goes right into the brain and sure. into his mind. And this is a journey of the mind and sorts. So that's kind of, he really liked that. So the, Makeup artist mocked up some prototypes that he made based on his own ear, like he, you know, oh, uh-huh. plaster cast or whatever of his own ear. Did a bunch of things, brought them out, set them on, you know, the the desk in front of Lynch, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I love these. These are great. These are great. Can we do adult ears though?" And he's like, "These are made from my own ears, man." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Oh." Can we make them from bigger ears? <laughs> uh, so they Jeff end- Goodwin is the makeup supervisor. Okay. So they ended up making them from Fred Caruso, who was one of the producers. Oh, funny. On this movie, and um, used some of David Lynch's hair, his real hair, in, to to fill it out or whatever, and make it realistic. I just love the idea of like going in there and be like, "Yeah, these are great. Can we make them from adult ears?" I remember one time I was getting you were getting a drink with Matt who just got married last last week and he just had the clear blue sky and you've known him since you were sixteen? Fifteen, yeah. Out of clear blue sky just looks at you and goes, Your ears always so small. He said that? I remember that. <laughs> Years ago. Like back when I lived in the Kentucky, uh, I think. Long, long, long time ago. But it was just <laughs> Nope, they fucking shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on a really bad diet. Yeah, big yeah, big uh, ear diet. <laughs> um so he finds his ear. He takes the ear to um, police detective John Williams. That was his name, John Williams. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it was or was not the composer. I got, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was before he went on to create Star Wars. That's what he did, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't before that because <laughs> this was significantly later than. <laughs> um, plus Jaws and a lot of other significant scores that came out, you know, mm-hmm. a good ten years before this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, God, mm-hmm. John Williams has been around a long time. Yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, brings the ear to this police detective named John Williams, apparently, um, and runs. Well, he always just calls him Detective Williams. Oh, runs into his daughter Sandy. Sandy's played by Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Um, baby face, both oh, yeah. oh, McLaughlin yeah, and yeah. Laura Dern. Look McLaughlin like, almost looks younger in this than he does in. I, that was honestly yeah. my first thought: is that he felt younger to yeah. me. Um, yeah. and part of it is he's not dressed like a warrior or whatever. Yeah, like, and his character is different. Yeah, it's and he's meeker. playing kind of a little bit frumpier and yeah, mm-hmm. meek. Um, but yeah, he looks almost, and he gets. I think he gets more close-ups in this too. Than in Dune. Yeah. And Dave Lynch uh, really found the beauty of the Colin McLaughlin but close-up. But, like, yeah, his close-up is very baby-faced. Yes. Yep. Um, so, so he reconnects with Sandy, who's outside waiting for him. Mm-hmm. and In in the be- in a great reveal, a very... Oh, steps a, a out of A thing that David Lynch likes to do a lot, where you're just a shot of darkness, almost pure darkness, 
and the character steps forward a few steps mm-hmm. into a light you didn't know was there and then everything is still black but just the person is lit it's such a great yeah reveal he does it really he does in season three of twin peaks they do it at the end with philip gerard and with kyle mclaughlin or whatever and it's just wonderful it's Mm -hmm. just they're it's just a beautiful work of cinema i Mm -hmm. love it um and so before he even leaves the house which is weird that he brings it to his house he says you can't know anything else about this until right. we have it sorted. And she, it's just thinking about how, not only is that just a cool looking introduction to her character. Oh. What she represents is stepping she out of the is, But she is the light in an otherwise dark world. She's mm-hmm. the this beautiful all-American girl. She's innocent and pure mm-hmm. and is very much representative of the light in this dark mm-hmm. world. And it's, just such a great way to introduce a character. Right. Um, so Sandy tells him that the ear somehow relates to a lounge singer named Dorothy Valens. So that's a Wizard of Oz yeah, there's hat tip. Dorothy, yeah. Um, intrigued. Dorothy, what's a Gale, right? Dorothy, Dorothy Gale, Gale from Kansas. Um, intrigued, Jeffrey enters Dorothy's apartment by posing as an exterminator. Um, and steals the spare key while he's, while she's distracted by a man in a distinctive yellow sport coat whom Jeffrey nicknames the Yellow Man. Okay. Couple things. Yeah. He is... You, I, Jeffrey? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm kind of in love with his... I do like the sort of boyishness that he starts out with mm-hmm. and like that sort of wizened look he has by mm-hmm. the end. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, I also, the yellow man I love, and it's also another kind of Lynch thing of mm-hmm. the jumping man or the whatever man. Like, that's kind of how he names things. Yeah, they're he, not character has a name, but... Yeah, and they're not the man from another place. Like, they're not very whimsical The woman names. in the radiator. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love that sort of naming convention that he has of, like... I'm not going to think of it like He's a... wearing yellow? Call him the yellow man. Yeah. Not yeah. even yellow jacket or man in yellow. Mm-hmm. The man in the yellow hat. You know, just yellow man. I mm-hmm. love, 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 love. Um, and oh, finally, and I'm not going to harp on this too much, but whoever's name I just said who was in charge of makeup did Isabella Rossellini dirty in this movie. Her makeup was... I mean, it was of its time, but between like I didn't recognize her. It took me. I had to ask Mikey. Yeah, like she just had like electric blue eyeshadow, and and, like I think it's supposed to be pretty gaudy or body. I think more so. I think it's representative. So we talk about the duality of blue velvet and the and drilling down even further the duality of this town of mm. one side is sure. Sally and then whatever you cross Lincoln Street mm-hmm. and that's when you get the other side of the tracks the other, yeah so this Lincoln is representative of the other side which is probably also why his name is Frank Booth oh the man who, okay, Booth like the man who killed Lincoln yeah um you get there and there's a lot when you get to the others oh, blue is represented there's a lot of blue imagery in this dark world mm-hmm. um 
and it's balanced by the red and the duality of blue and red being on opposite. And so she's always got these bright blue eyes Mm -hmm. of what she's seeing. And then the bright red lips and the counter of the two, like is a, is more of a statement on the duality of her character and Mm -hmm. the fact that she is part of this dirty seedy world, Mm -hmm. but also not necessarily by choice. Right. And, she's crossing over you know what i mean she's trying to get away from yeah like but also like has been exploited to a point where she doesn't know and she Mm -hmm. she is kind of what could happen to jeffrey if he continued down this path like he's falling into this dark seedy world and he's interested and he's intrigued but all of a sudden like oh fuck maybe this is too much yeah and she kind of came in the other way she was forced into this world and Uh is like maybe i could get into it yeah you know what i mean which is a little bit of the she doesn't know any better the where she's asking him to hit her yeah and stuff because that's what she feels she's worth yeah and it's it's really yeah it's fucking heartbreaking and it's brutal but like she's a a character torn because Mm -hmm. you know but also we don't know anything about her husband and child. Right. Her husband could be part of it. Frank Jr., you know what I mean? Like he could, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he could be another awful like we don't know anything about that. So she becomes this really complex mm-hmm. in, interesting character that you want to get to know but never actually see who Dorothy even the one point she she gets back to her apartment she pulls off a wig. Mhm. And then her hair underneath is the same fucking hair. Yeah. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, she has no, uh, she has no self-identity. She right. She has, like, layers upon her. Right. Yeah. And and tries to, and, and makes herself into whatever those around her need her to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a survival mechanism, for of sure. Course, of course. Of um, course. All right. So, Jeffrey and Sandy attend Dorothy's nightclub act. I really loved <clears throat> I really loved Jeffrey's tacit endorsement. Nope. I really loved Jeffrey's strong endorsement of Heineken. Yeah, loves Heineken. Loves Heineken. Can't believe we've never had a Heineken. You've never had a Heineken? Heineken! Fuck that shit. Paps blue ribbon. Again, there's a reference to blue being the evil side or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah. Um... So they attend Dorothy's nightclub act, um, in which Dorothy sings Blue Velvet. Uh, God, those scenes are lit so fucking beautifully. Yes, she is beautiful. She's stunning. Andrew Bedlamenti playing piano, also, by the way. I just wish he didn't make a non-singer sing. It. She just looked uncomfortable to me. It didn't feel... But I, it felt self-conscious to me. And it, it is. Uh, but also, I think that's intentional. I don't think she wants to be a singer. Oh. I think... Okay. I think we... It's it's the people around her propping her up and saying, dance for us. Yeah. make Be pretty. Sing us songs. Do this for us. I can't. I'm not a singer. I don't want to do... I don't give a shit. Doesn't Get up matter. there and do yeah. it. And make us happy. Well, like, he does constantly call her tits, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, she is 
she had, like you said, she has no identity of her own that right. we've ever seen. Right. Um, that's why, like, when, when she sees him, when Jeffrey in the closet, and she's, what do you want? And he's like, I don't know. Yeah. And she's like, then what the fuck am I supposed to do? Yeah. I'm, you tell me. I'm not the initiator. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, there's just fantastic dynamics mm-hmm. between some of these characters. Yeah. I love it. I love that. Um, so they leave early. Jeffrey sneaks into her apartment. Um, Dorothy retur- returns home. She finds him hiding in a closet. Um, she gives him a beach after she makes him undress at knife point. She kind of nicks his, his face and yeah. tells him to strip. And then um, gives him a BJ. And then Jeffrey retreats to his closet, as this says, when Frank Booth arrives and interrupts their encounter. So Frank Booth is um, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Who... Utterly terrifying character. So deeply scary. Very, very, very scary. Very, yeah. Like, Bob is scary, but ooh, he's this supernatural figure. Like, there's something about... Frank being absolutely terrifying because he is 100% a real person. Like, not obviously me, Frank Booth isn't real, whatever, right, right, right. but like men like him exist all over the yeah. place in hordes. He, and I think the way, I, I think that's a really apt description to say that, to delineate him from Bob because they're both really scary characters. I think there is a volatility that exists in uh, in Frank Booth that doesn't like. Obviously, Bob is like terrifying; and he can do anything. But there's something about like the explosive nature At of any, Frank. Yeah, anytime, that and anything can just like set him yeah. off, and it's yeah, and it's tense. Like we've all that, been that, in a yeah. Every second he's on screen is very tense, right? And uh, then that whole sequence pay, plays out like from the closet in almost real time. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah, terrifying to watch. So scary. Um, Frank Booth beats Dorothy. He subjects her to various sexual abuses. And but like is like calling her mommy. It's oh, and we haven't. Ta- oh God, and we haven't talked about that. He's got the yeah, like the nitrous or whatever. Nitrous. Or I, Mikey I and assume. I are doing the. Yeah, <laughs> I assume it's nitrous or something. Some type of. You know. Okay, yeah, I know I'm going to like this more the more I talk about it. Because I want to be clear, like, I did not really enjoy mm-hmm. a lot of this movie, but there were elements that I definitely loved, mm-hmm. which makes me think, I think the more I think about it, the more I will enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the image of him, like, locking eyes with her and huffing is... So scary. It's so deeply terrifying. I just Absolutely. And it, again, another character who you I wanna know what's fucking going on in his childhood. Mm-hmm. Because there's clearly some like I imagine he's high all the time because he's repressing something. He's violent because of some type of violent upbringing. Mm-hmm. Like not to like make justifications for this man being awful, but like no. clearly there's some shit going on yeah. that he needs to reconcile. And this is how he's see. Doing that's, it. that's funny that you say that. Cause I, I've said it a zillion times that I, I have an interest in true crime and a lot of it is that kind of thing of like, 
what the fuck happened in Ted Bundy's childhood that like set him on this mm-hmm. path because it's I think women tend to see men frequently as like things they need to fix or cure because they're a little bit volatile oftentimes. Mm. And so I think there's something about like, okay, well, Ted Bundy is a murderer, but also he was probably the product of incest. And also like he had X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. things happen in his upbringing. And it, it, it's this, in this case, like it's like, he's calling her mommy and all that kind of shit. And like, he's trying to like crawl or, up in her. Or, yeah. Or that that's just him fucking playing her because she's oh, missing her kid. Yeah. And I want to say has. for the record, like, but sorry, I feel like I cut, cut off your thought. You were talking about serial killers and shit. Oh, I mean, it, it's just the idea, like your instinct just, you know, when you see him, like what the fuck happened to this guy yeah. is I think a lot of people and when a true crime is really popular among women. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is like putting together a puzzle of like, why do because the reality of being a woman in the world is like you do not know what men are going to do at any given time and we are sort of have to be a little on alert all the time and so i think there is something about like figuring out why somebody would do something like this makes it a little bit easier to say like oh okay well this guy won't murder me unless all of this shit happened but the reality is but i think there's a through line of toxic masculinity that says I don't get mental health help. Mm-hmm. So if I have some type of mental issue, mental mm-hmm. health issue that needs, you know, if I need therapy, if I have trauma, if right. I have shit that needs to get resolved, they don't. Mm. And instead of, talking it out or taking medication or doing anything like that it's mm. self-medicate and beat the shit out of other people mm-hmm. like that's that's very common mm-hmm. and so yeah that you just described it, the entire 60s oh god yeah, <laughs> yeah like and so it's you know they're you don't want to make a direct line between oh well he had a fucked up upbringing to He's a horrible monster who beats and whatever. But well, oftentimes there's a through line to mental health and another line from mental health to being a violent person or whatever. Yeah. You know? I mean, and the way, the way I've heard it put, I think succinctly, is having a terrible upbringing is not an excuse to be violent. Right. Because there's a million billion people out there who had violent upbringings who never like are violent with anybody else. However, it is a factor. And if you already are susceptible to mental illness or don't have like your brain doesn't do a good job Mm -hmm. retaining your control, your self control. Yeah, of course. Like Mm -hmm. it all adds up and it's not an excuse, but it is a, I mean, everything is a number of other causes. Right. Um, so, Oh, I want to be clear about. I, just, I don't want to kink shame. Like, if people are into like role play or whatever, that's fine. This sure. did not appear to be what this was. Right. This I, did not okay. feel like consensual well, fun role play. It felt b- between the horrible. two of them at least. Correct. And then, and then, unless she was, that was actually what I thought the first twist was going to be. Right. Or, like the big twist was going to be that like she's been playing a character the whole time and sure. she pretends to be this abused woman, but that's what gets her off. And so him coming in is just upping sure. that role play. Actually, I would write that screenplay. It's kind of interesting. No? 
Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's anything I can think of that kind of is that, and I can't offhand, but... Um, I'll have to cut this out because I'll need to send myself uh, a yeah, patent. Um, I don't think you can patent ideas. You Absolutely, can, you, can you can. Copy them. Copyright them. Yeah. Copy. A patent is like an invention. A copy patent. Okay. Anyway. Um, but that's, yeah... It it gets it gets muddy after that because it's it's pretty clear he's just being abusive, mm-hmm. but also like he just like cuts her dress and like mimics fucking her. Yeah, that like was he doesn't even conf- take his pants off. Yeah, that's what I was confused because at one and point it's, when it's like, like it's huh? almost comic. He's like, Aah! yeah, it like, was. I hated like, it. It's so. Oh, I wish it, like, you didn't make that noise. It's just so fucking strange and i think that's and i think that's why it triggers jeffrey to be intrigued by this Mm -hmm. because it's just so fucking strange yeah yeah and and then and then when jeffrey and and her connect and it's it's she says hit me and whatever and and that's when it gets weird of like oh maybe she is into this that's yeah or is it the type of thing of like She's convinced herself that she is mm-hmm. because that's all she gets. Yeah, I, it's. Uh, I I think my main complaint about this movie was that the women, though given a lot to do and given really interesting characters, maybe lacked a little depth as to why. Like we don't. I want to know what Isabella Rossellini's fucking whole jam is. Like, was she, like, how did she get tangled up in this? You Why? But you don't get that. The only you only get that for one character. Who? Jeffrey. Oh, oh, oh I thought you meant of those people. Uh, that's like yeah, I you're, guess right. you're right, and, and it's because you obviously identify with women first, yeah. and that makes sense. But you you don't get depth of character for Frank either. Yeah, you that's don't get true. depth of character for but she the has Dean mo- Stockwell singing character. You don't get depth of character for anybody else. I you don't get Sandy's depth, really, except for that she's I mean, dating some guy. I mean, you understand that she's dating that guy. She wants to see yeah. Kyle McLaughlin. Her dad's a cop. Like she's sort of cheeky sure. about things. These characters are set up as mystery and not fleshed out characters. And so you want to get to know them more. And that's, that's, yeah. this is a mystery. This whole movie is built around intrigue. Yeah. And so I think if you gave her some giant backstory, she would honestly become a less interesting character. All right. I think. I don't know. Um, so Jeffrey learn, <laughs> Jeffrey finds the most convenient thing of all time which is a picture of um, her husband of and Dorothy. child. Yeah, Dorothy's husband and child, and on the back of it is their marriage certificate taped. Yeah. You know, you know, like all of our pictures in our living room that display our wedding, well, we just have our marriage certificate the, taped back there. Here's the one thing about that, though, is that it's stuffed to the on the back of a picture frame and hidden under the couch, as though it's put in a place where when Frank Booth comes back, he won't find it. It's it's being hit like this is information that's personal and important to me, but I don't want anyone else to find it. 
Frank Booth has made me clear out every other element of my husband and but child. why would she need a marriage? I would, I'd feel like the kid's birth certificate is something more important than a marriage certificate. Yeah. I, I just, it, I mean, whatever. It's fine. It moves the plot along. Um, so I, did you think this, and it turned out to be more or less correct, but Jeffrey's leap to, I know what happened, her husband and son were kidnapped, so Dorothy has to be a sex slave. And do you... I mean, he was right, but, like... Yeah. It felt like a pretty big leap. There, there's a leap there, for sure. And I'm wondering... I think... Yeah, I'm, I mean, and... They, they, but they give him credit as being like kind of intuitive. And are you a detective? Do you want to be a detective? Yeah. Like they give him a little bit of that. And you're right. There it's is a little encyclopedia Brown. There is a big leap, but also, I don't know everything that she says to him. She does a lot of this whisper, uh-huh. and she may have said things in there that I didn't pick up on. Yeah, that were more relevant. Sure. Um, so I don't want to dismiss it outright. Mm. But yes, that's a bit of a leap. But then he explains it to Sandy in order to get the audience on right, board. Right, What's going on? Because a lot of that is kind of hard to tell. No, I'm glad he said but it I, out loud. But I think there's like, I think Frank says something like, if you want to see him again, da, 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 or something. Oh, I don't remember. Like that in the middle of him just yelling at her and berating her. And it all sounds kind of like nonsense. Yeah. Um, And I could be wrong, but... Yeah, I, I that's a valid criticism though. I think it, yeah. it there could be more information that I missed, or so either that information needed to be clearer, mm. or there needed to be something else that connected those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So Jeffrey now suspects that Frank cut off Don, who's the husband. Don, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Frank cut off Don's ear to warn. Dorothy to stay alive for her family's sake, which th- that's almost verbatim, I think, from yeah. for her family's sake. So they're saying if she kills herself, they'll kill the two of them. Is that like is th- was she threatening suicide? Probably. No, like, I. Uh, I wish the ear figured larger. I guess it was a fun reveal at the end to see that. Yeah, what's his face didn't have an, and an ear, and it's a it's a symbol of like this movie follows that same dream logic of things just happen and you just know the answer. Mm, sure, you sure. know, like and and the ear is very much a symbol of access to the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, fear is the mind killer. No, sorry, um, it's from Dune. I remember. Okay, but you um, said in a scary voice. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a little bit of I think. That dream logic of just while this isn't a dream, the movie works on dream logic in that sure. you just know things, sure, and they just make sense, sure, and you don't question it and keep keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jeffrey tells Sandy what happened. He doesn't say that he got a blowy, um, but she urges. Does she actually though? Like she kind of just like job adjacent. Like she just kind of is kissing around at his belly and like leaning her head on him and stuff. I don't know if she ever actually does or if she just like teases him. This Wikipedia entry includes the word flate. So okay, if Wikipedia is sure, I'm sure. Well, all right then. (laughs) 
Um, so Sandy tries to. Con- oh, I thought you were laughing at the dogs. You're being cute, just laying here. We've got an extra dog in here today. Yeah. We're watching our brother and sister's dog. Brother and sister-in-law. Brother, <laughs> my my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, her brother, and sister-in-law. Good clarification. Sorry. His name's Finn. He's almost 18 years old. Yeah. He's, and he's so smelly. He's a good boy. Yeah, he's very smelly. He's a good boy, though. Um, so anyway, Sandy tries to tell... Um, <laughs> Speaking of dogs, though, that's one of my favorite moments, though, is at the very beginning of this movie when his dad is laying on the ground. Oh, and the, the dog stroke, is laughing and the, up. The, spray, the hose is spraying in the air, and the dog's just like... <laughs> jumping all over it, like... Trying to drink the water from the hose. Delightful. It's just such a good example of like. Macabre mixed with quirkiness. Yes, very, for very sure. Very Lingian. Yeah. But more specifically, the idea of like the St. Bernard in the snowstorm with the rum thing. Like that's how we think dogs are. But really dogs are just going to like lick your face until. It... The St. Bernard in a snowstorm with rum? Have you never heard that? You I know, have Saint... no idea what that's. Okay. I guarantee you people will know what I'm talking about. There, it used to be a legend, and it was always in like Looney Tunes cartoons. Okay. St. Bernard's. You know who St. Bernard is? Beethoven so. dog. Yeah. And they were bred to like save people in the Alps. Okay. And so they would send them out to, I don't, listen, this is at this point based largely on Looney Tunes cartoons, mm, but they would mm, send mm, them out to find people who were, <laughs> who were missing. And they had like a little cask of rum under their, like on their collar, under their chin to give to people because people used to think rum cured everything, which I mean, at some point if you're drunk enough, you're not going to care if you're freezing to death. So anyway, (laughs) but the point is like, we have this idea of like the heroic dog versus like dogs are, I mean, I'm sure therapy dogs are great. Other dogs are probably heroic. Our fucking dog, you yeah. know, right. she would just run away from the water. And you see like those I hate that. Sweet moments of like, there's one I saw a little while back of a, um, like a little boy fell in a pool, Aww. and with like the cover thing on, and the <gasps> dog like, oh, it was wild. Aww. It was wild. The dog like grabbed him by the and was like pulling him out, and yeah, it was nuts. When I was little, when I had my dog Ramsey growing up, I was probably six. I was out in the snow by myself, and I fell. <laughs> And I didn't have glove. I don't know why I was outside without parental supervision with a dog, but whatever. That was parents' favorite thing to do was go outside. <laughs> it was the middle of it was like piled. <laughs> You're getting in my fucking way. Go outside. <laughs> but go play I outside. I fell like with my hands fully into the snow, and it was just so cold and horrible. I started crying, and my dog started howling, and that's what got my mom's attention. Mm-hmm. I think he was just making noise because I was making noise. Because also that one time be- when I was singing Rolling Stones, he also howled. So I don't think I was crying at that point. Anyway, um, dogs are great. This dog was fucking hysterical. Okay. So, so <laughs> boy. So Sandy wants Jeffrey to tell her dad mm-hmm. that some shit is up. What he knows. But he can't tell him because. Because he doesn't want to get himself in trouble it, or yeah, Sandy in trouble. Him and Sandy in that they broke into this apartment. And right. And he's also afraid of what Frank would do. He's afraid of retaliation. Um, So then we get into Jeffrey's full-on double life that he's living. Yeah. He's smooching Sweet Sandy in the malt shop. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the thing I think people did. Arlene's diner. 
Arlene's Diner. Yeah, that's another thing. A diner. Diner is a safe space. Mm-hmm. Diners are happiness. Diners are positivity. The light. But yeah. he also continues to show up. Which is at- true. Diners are amazing. The diners are very good. <laughs> Ugh, I miss our diner. I went to the dopest diner in Wisconsin with my mom. Um, I think it's in Williams Bay. And it literally looks like a big igloo. Hmm. And we had to wait 20 minutes to get a seat. And we split an Eggs Benedict and blueberry pancakes. Oh, man. It was good. Good stuff. We'll go there next time. It's like the place we went to in uh, Pasadena. Frank's question mark? No. Rob's? Roy Rogers. No. Rick's. Am I helping or am I helping? Not helping at all, but it's a name. I think it's Ray's. No, it was a two syllable name. Oh. It was like Jerry's or Jerome's. Jerome's? Oh, maybe. I think it might be Jerome's. It's very good. I'll link to it in the. I mean, whatever. If you haven't passed it in, you fucking know about it. It's the dope. Like every time I. That's true. We went there with. um, Yeah, very small, but. Just absolutely yeah. delicious. We went there, the, Mikey, myself, and one of his coworkers went there once and got like, you know, a couple uh, mimosas and this amazing Blood breakfast. Oh, so good. And now every time we, if Mikey goes to Pasadena, I usually tag along with him. Um, and I always find a, find a time on like a Wednesday morning to yeah, get like a mimosa. Pas- and, go to Old Pasadena. Oh, yeah. so good. I think it's Jerome's. Okay. Okay. So while Jeffrey is like kind of cultivating this sweet, wholesome, all-American relationship with Sandy, um, also it's interesting that Sandy's name is... Meanwhile, it's not just a wholesome thing. Like, he's corrupting this girl who actively loves her boyfriend. Oh, I forgot she has another boyfriend. He's corrupting her life, too. Like, he's not just like, oh, living a double life, but like, he's taking this evil life and, and... bleeding it into hers uh, i feel like that takes away some of her agency though like isn't there a story to be told that like she's trying to live this wholesome life but doesn't like it and would rather sure. but that's what but i you mean. don't think that's these are all part of the mystery these are oh. all like that's that's what i'm saying about how the only real depth character that you get answers for and even he's very loose yeah, but it's it's Jeffrey Beaumont. The, everyone else is just yeah, a very very like mysterious character that pro, like that's part of I think why some of the acting performances are so good is that every single one of these actors got to just make up their own insane backstories. You, you know? know, and now that I'm thinking about it, tying it back to Twin Peaks, like that seems to be the case with a ton of almost all the characters in Twin Peaks mm-hmm. is like they're which happens. Almost all the time in TV shows of you start with two dimensional characters and all of a sudden you get into your three, four, five seasons and mm-hmm. then the characters get depth because they just need storylines to explore. And this is a direct bleed into Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, this. It feels so these characters, totally similar. Like, and he's like, what if I were able to take these characters who I'm setting up all this mystery at, uh, w- about for two hours? Mm-hmm. What if I could just explore them for however long mm. we're allowed to be on the air. Yeah. That's what I feel like he wanted to do. And this this is what inspired him to want to do a TV series. Is, I wonder... Is, I think the one thing that drew him to television was the fact that he wasn't limited by yeah. a two-hour runtime. I'm curious if... 
if David Lynch had his way, like his full way mm-hmm. in 1989 when he started Twin Peaks. I'm curious how long it would have retained his attention. Because, like, yes, absolutely, the magic of... T- Mikey shrugged at yeah, me. That's, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Because uh, the, the cool thing about TV is you get to dive into characters and watch them grow over more than just a couple hours. Um, but the other thing is you have to have some kind of continuity that needs to last from that episode to an episode, you know, five weeks later. I, I, I'm curious if he would have enjoyed it as much as he... I think he would... I don't think we maybe would. I don't, mm, like we the audience. Yeah, I think the the issue is that you talk about continuity and he doesn't give a shit about that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I'm yeah. about my emotional connection and I don't care if this was this story arc isn't going. He I don't think he cares as much about story. Mm. He's about emotion and that connectivity and interaction with characters mm-hmm. and what's actually happening in front of you at that moment mm. not really the overall story sure um so he's also diving into this weird relationship he has with dorothy um she's constantly asking him to hit her um he jeffrey also sees mm-hmm. frank attending Dor- dorothy's well, show so this is an interesting like I said, you know, it's the dark world or whatever bleeding into her to Sally's life. But like, this is really just there's a Sally and Jeffrey relationship where he's. Let's take it the other way. There's a Dorothy and Jeffrey relationship where he's the Sally. He's mm, the innocent he's the, one yeah. here, and he's kind of intrigued by this because mm-hmm. I think there. Yes, there's agency with with Sally, and she. Likes her boyfriend and is used to that. Sandy? What am I saying? Sally. Okay. There's another example. I just <laughs> don't know words anymore, apparently. Um, Sandy. Smooth brain. Sandy, Sandy, Sandy. Um, so in the Dorothy-Jeffrey relationship, Jeffrey is the Sandy in that he's the more innocent one. He's intrigued by this world, but he's not in it in it yet. And But he's kind of getting pulled in by her. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around... And does the same thing to Sandy, and he's trying to pull her into what he's been getting pulled into. And mm-hmm. so she's intrigued, but, you know, the only innocent one there is her boyfriend, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, we don't know anything about. We meet him very briefly twice. So Jeffrey sees Frank attending Dorothy's show. Um, he sees that he is drug dealing and meeting with the yellow man. With What is that camera contraption? I don't know, but it's it's some type of like camera hidden in a shoebox with a string that's which like hiding somehow, the lens, which is somehow less. Well, especially because he has to like move his entire. Oh my arms god! And it's shoulders. like he's, it's it's like he's working. It's like, like he's doing archery. He's like doing an entire like marionette performance. Right. Like, yeah, it's that was weird. Inter- like I get that he's trying to be discreet, but and I wonder if that's just a joke on like. He thinks he's being all coy right. and he's just an idiot or but it was it seems like a pretty like just use a camera yeah <laughs> like but just that setup seemed pretty intricate like clearly yeah. he knew what he was yeah. doing yeah. but like to what end it's it's strange for sure um then frank catches jeffrey leaving dorothy's apartment who the fuck is frank frank booth 
Frank Booth. Frank Booth. Oh, oh, okay. I remember this now. So Jeffrey is like stepping out of Dorothy's apartment. Frank catches him. This is this is right before the the big joyride sequence. Yeah, he adopt he abducts them and he brings them to the lair of Ben. Um, do you have any thoughts on the uh, joyride, which was? I scary. mean, it yeah, it's just spooky, scary. It's a, what a 10, 15 minute sequence of just terror. Oh wait, I'm sorry, we're not there yet. We're not there yet, though. No. So we'll talk about that. I thought they kind of skipped over it, but they didn't. It's just later. Um, so they end up at Ben's place. Um, oh, 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 which is yeah, where yeah. Don and Donnie are being held hostage. Did not know the kid's name was Donnie. Yeah. Um, Frank permits Dorothy to see her family and forces Jeffrey to watch Ben perform an impromptu lip sync of Roy Orbison's In Dreams, which causes Frank to suffer a breakdown. Any thoughts on uh, this? I you love fucking it. love this yeah. scene. Like this is pinnacle David Lynch, dream logic. It's beautiful and weird mm-hmm. and scary mm-hmm. and like I it, first of all I just not only from a whatever just realistic point of like oh using one of those like work lights as a microphone those look like those kind of old-timey microphones uh-huh. but the shot that it creates oh where like his face is lit brighter than anything else mm-hmm. but yet his he's wearing that like makeup powder yeah so that it's all like pale paled out like and then this white light and it like still looks so- is just such a fucking great so image eerie. And it's ter- and and then the fact that like he's singing this, but like his eyes don't emote anything. Uh-huh. I love I love a dead eye. And he's love just a dead eye performance. Singing so smoothly while he's got his unlit cigarette with the giant filter. Mm-hmm. And then Brad Dourif character is standing on the couch in the back playing with a snake. So and there's weird. Women just sitting on a couch, just staring like this is all normal. And then a weird character sitting on the couch that has like a weird David Lynch creature face Mm -hmm. that is just molded it's and then and then Frank Booth is watching this all like crying and singing along Mm -hmm. and it's just like that part that's another moment that suggests like this is a song from his childhood or something that triggers something Mm -hmm. like it's I I want to know his character. Mm-hmm. I want to know Dorothy's character. I want to know what's going on, and we never get it. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I love. Sure, is that the movie lives on beyond the movie because I never get those answers. And there's very little closure. Right. Yeah. Um, I do want to take a bummer second to just plant a flag and some fat phobia of this one scene that you come into this room and there's just like four fat people just sitting there and it's the only time we see anybody who's like not skinny and beautiful and I don't know what it means but it didn't feel good or nice it was just something I noticed I mean I noticed the character sitting there I never even took note of yeah like I've always noticed that um, David Lynch favors very slender bodies it's just a thing I notice um, due to my crippling uh, fear of my own body are you sure that that's not just Hollywood, you know, actors and well, actresses. Well, I think this are... is a good example of 
you know, every character, every speaking character is trim and beautiful and lovely. Mm -hmm. And like there are these four, you know, just regular looking overweight people. It's just a thing I noticed. Take from it what you will. A lot of times, the thing is a lot of times people use fat people as shorthand for laziness or Americana or But what, or I, like, what do you think was being I, I said d- here? I think this I is just know. a strange environment, but like, I think the idea is just that there's, we get to this place and there's 10, 15 people here and none of them look like they belong together. And that's what's so, you know what I mean? That's, mm-hmm. It's like the convenient, you know, the the room above the convenience store and fire walk with me. Mm-hmm. Like, how the fuck do all these characters relate to each mm-hmm. other? And yeah. I feel like that's the vibe I got. I'm not from saying it. I'm right. I'm not saying that. Sure. I'm certainly not saying it was deliberate. It's just a thing I noticed yeah, a lot. And, yeah, I wouldn't have clocked that. Um. Okay, so Frank suffers a breakdown, and then he and his gang take um, Dorothy and Jeffrey. On this, how uh, Wikipedia says it, a high-speed joyride to a sawmill yard. Sawmills? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was a sawmill yard. So this, did we miss Frank Violin? Okay, no, no. I, we're going to get to the part where he smooches him all over, which was horrifying. Yeah, so um, they're, they're still just driving at this point, asking him questions, and he's just kind of and it's, n- not responding. He seems so out of that situation like everything has a bunch of people and lights and things happening and then every time it's Kyle McLaughlin it's just a tight on his face yeah. it's dark around him and he's unchanging because mm-hmm. um, I think that's the that's the moment when he realizes like I'm in, in too deep intrigue is gone I'm in a bad place mm-hmm. but the shot and credit to Fred Elms um, that shot of the the reverse angle of Kyle and mm-hmm. of his POV with him turned with Frank Booth turned around with like his arm so over the thing. Oh, scary. And, and um, uh, Dorothy looking at Frank and then the other guy kind of over her shoulder, but him just look and the way like at one point you see the guy kind of opens the car door, which puts a light perfectly on Frank's face. And then he, he's doing, he's huffing. Huffing, the, yeah. Oh my God, it's terrifying. So scary. Like, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and then you don't realize, you have no idea, and then you don't see what's happening to Jeffrey. You don't know if he's getting angry or scared or mm-hmm. what, and then he punches him. Mm-hmm. Well, he punches it, him as soon as he starts physically abusing. Right, leave her well alone, and then yeah. he turns around like, what the, who the fuck are you to tell me to what to Yeah. Well, because at one point, she looks uh, Dorothy looks back at Kyle McLaughlin and mm-hmm. he's like don't fucking look there's a lot of don't look at me don't look at him don't mm-hmm. which is I don't know if it's thematic um, about David Lynch of like he I don't know I, we, we've talked about like oh maybe he's on the spectrum oh. maybe struggles with eye contact makes him uncomfortable mm-hmm. and just I, yeah, it's that, again it's again, just that, this, this to me is like I think I've gone into this because I think Frank Booth is a great villain, a, a terrifying character, but a fucking intriguing character. Mm-hmm. And I've, in my own head, built these like backstories of like that's a thing that like when his mother beat him or something, and oh, don't look at me while I'm she, hitting you. She was embarrassed that she was doing it, but felt like she had to mm-hmm. for some reason. It's don't look at me while I'm hurting you, like that kind of thing, and that has carried over like Mm -hmm. that's I feel like all of that shit is there somewhere Mm -hmm. and you just have to 
guess or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, that's what I think is fascinating about a movie like this is it's taking these characters that could very well exist in the real world, showing them to you and just being like, got it. I don't have to explain them to you. Mm-hmm. These are just people who exist. Yeah. People just have weird shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then he pulls them out of the car. Yep. Yeah. Um, Frank violent. So uh, Frank puts red lipstick on it. Do you remember what he was saying? He was saying something while they put the lipstick on He him. started saying, because he asked the other guy to put that same tape on the, the, what, what's this? In song? Dreams? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, that's what this He says. keeps calling it the. The multi. Clown, yeah, the, pastel color, multicolored the, clown. The, um, yeah, the colored ca- clowns and it, it's whatever. Three words though. Candy colored clown. Candy colored clown. That's right. Um, yeah. So he asked the one of his crews or whatever his crewmates, <laughs> whatever those guys are. Mm-hmm. Uh, henchmen is the word I was looking for to put up, put that same tape on, and so the candy colored clown song starts playing again, and he starts, "Who the fuck are you?" Uh, at Jeffrey and then starts just repeating the lines right before they happen in the mm-hmm. song, which is also fucking terrifying because he's delivering them in such a terrifying way. And then mm-hmm. the song is just like, Ooh, in dreams. Mm-hmm. And like, it's so soft and soothing. It's wow. It's that whole fucking sequence. Mm hmm. I think is just masterful. Yeah, it's 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 deeply scary. Uh, the intimacy of like kissing another man and just to like leave marks and to leave marks. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's one thing to do it, but to put on the lipstick first is to say this. Yeah, remember that this is here. It's almost like horseshoe theory meets toxic masculinity. I don't know what horseshoe theory is. Horseshoe theory is basically like. Any, um, listen, first of all, if you listen to my other podcast, you've already emailed me about horseshoe theory being fake, but it's the idea of like ultra conservatives and ultra liberals end up kind of in the same meeting point, which is usually anti-vaxxer. Okay. So it's the things like that. Everybody gets so extreme that you sort of are fighting about this on the same side somehow. So it's like horseshoe theory meets toxic masculinity of like Like anti-GMO shit and stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. But like. This sort of anti-toxic or like extreme toxic masculinity of like the worst thing I can do to you is put lipstick on myself and kiss you because that's emasculating yeah. of you. And like I'm so secure in my masculinity mm-hmm. that this is going to reflect poorly on you, which is just me, obviously. Yeah, I mean, projecting. But that all like anything like it's that whatever it all is is terrifying and. Almost the only problem I have with the entire sequence is that I get so invested in it and like it makes me anxious and you know frightened and all that and then there's still like 35 minutes left. Yeah. And it and it slows down so hard that it's almost difficult to get back into the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like that felt like the true climax yes. of the movie. Yeah. And there's still so much more because they're there's still so much more plot. There's still the great image in the end mm-hmm. of the yellow man. They're still piecing all these things together. And it, it just seems like it's in a, in a strange place, but I don't know where else you could have put it. Sure. But it's just that he's such a, that Frank Booth is such a domineering and commanding presence on screen mm-hmm. that it feels like everything else that he's not in 
is I don't know it doesn't seem as important anymore yeah yeah Yeah. I mean I I understand what you mean I don't have that feeling at all but Mm -hmm. I I I see why you'd say that like he is really like yeah like you said the most dynamic and like volatile character who brings chaos with him wherever and if he's gone like okay what are we doing now Okay, so um, so he beats him unconscious. Jeffrey wakes up the next morning. We just see him in his bed. He's mm-hmm. bruised, bloodied, not not in good shape. Uh, no, he wait. Doing it. You see him walk through like that same lumber yard, and it's like a really overcast now. And this, it's the same him walking outside, but it's not sunny anymore. It's not oh, a blue sky. It's okay, kind of this my bad weird dark world and then it's back in his also what the fuck is that like weird shrunken head looking thing hanging Jesus on his wall what is Christ. that what the was fuck is that? that it was so scary and it's like the only thing on his wall <laughs> and it's like on that blank wall and he like reaches toward yeah, it yeah and like, they like give oh, you they give boy. it its close-up and stuff it's so strange and i asked mike it was like because when you see a close-up for me anyway who's bad at paying attention to things i'm like okay what was that supposed to be like what am i supposed to yeah. know about this that i like zoned yeah, out there? and that's yeah but he, yeah, so he's like, then sits up in bed and he's crying and he's really these flashbacks upset. Really of all the upset. things that are being said. Which I and, liked this scene. I liked the, that's great. That's like, great. It, you know, because he's what, 19, 20? Mm-hmm. It's, he's a kid, mm-hmm. all things considered. And like, it, it's good that they showed that it's having an effect on him as opposed to just like powering through. Yeah. So Jeffrey decides to go to the police station to talk to Detective Williams. But as he walks in, who's there? The yellow man. The yellow but man. But he just turns out he just wanted a drink of water anyway. A really creepy drink of water from the yeah. drinking fountain where was... he looks over his shoulder dramatically. No, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> um, I, I also love like that actor's work, the guy who plays the yellow man of like, he keeps seeing this guy, but very briefly in this way that's like, because he saw him when he was dressed as the exterminator. Right. Briefly. Right. He then took saw. Took pictures. Well, Jeffrey saw him. Jeffrey oh, took I'm the sorry. Picture. Who's he? I, the, the actor, the yellow man. Okay. Like, he keeps giving these reactions to seeing Jeffrey. Like, you seem familiar, mm. but I don't know if you're a threat i don't know who i don't know why i know you Mm -hmm. but like i feel like i've seen this guy before and then like he's at the house when uh, jeffrey's taking out sandy Mm -hmm. and is gives him another look again like yeah it's you're popping up a lot it's but like maybe not i feel like i do i feel like i know but he doesn't quite recognize and you don't know sure it's just i think it's it's he does great work with that Mm mm-hmm um. So, okay, this is what this says, and I am going to ask you how we know this. Um, Willoughby's partner, Tom Gordon, is the yellow man who has been murdering Frank's rival drug dealers and stealing confiscated narcotics from the evidence room for Frank to sell. Somehow, that certainly all went over my head. I that's, did not get that. That's what intrigue. he was saying. So, when he does his spy, when Jeffrey does his spying... He says he sees him go up to the top of this like fire escape, and he's looking out at a murder. Uh huh. And there, there was a drug dealer and a murder and all the stuff. The police were there. That was happening, and then he sees and hears Frank talking, um, 
to the Dean Stockwell character. I don't know if he even has a name, the singer. Mm-hmm. Um, in that scene where they're talking about the drug deals and how, and then that drug deal connects to the murders that he saw oh, I see. from that location. Ben is Dean Stockwell's okay. character. Okay. Okay. So that's how that information is put together. Mm-hmm. And then it's loosely put together and then it's synthesized for us by Jeffrey. You know what I mean? Like oh, Jeffrey yes, is yes, our yes. dream surrogate or right, whatever. Right. Um, so Jeffrey and Sandy go to a dance or a party or something together. Yep. They leave and all of a sudden this car starts chasing them. That's when them. the Julie Cruz song is playing. Yes. And they're Great dancing song. very dreamy. And they profess their love and mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Drop some albums. Um, so I loved this season. This season. This is my favorite season of Blue Velvet too. I was going to cut that out, but that was a good joke, so I'm not going to. I loved this scene. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this sort of um, catastrophizing that that Jeffrey does immediately of like, it's this guy and he's going to kill me. We have to go to ben, my dad's house. He has a oh, gun the, there. What, the, I feel like you jumped a, to a new... You, we're still at the party. We're not at the party anymore? Oh, I had already said they, they were leaving after oh. they had the dance and the Julie Cruz scene and everything. So now they're in the car. Yeah. And this is the scene I like. Okay. That so they're in the car. The car ramming them and stuff? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, just the okay. idea of Got like, it. okay, this char- this car's pursuing us. Oh, and oh, just, just Jeff, is it, but Jeff he, catastrophizing of like, this is the guy. He's going to fucking kill me. We have to go to my dad's house. We're going to have to get a gun, like blah, 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 blah. And then it turns out it's like. being protective too. Totally. But I just. Literally... And not withholding. Like that's your other big thing that you hate is withholding information when mm-hmm. he thinks it's this guy and like is keeping it a secret for no real reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but what what I liked about it is it shows really well how he's sort of caught between worlds of what he's thinking is happening is a man is tracking him down to murder him and the mm-hmm. people he loves. And what it really is is his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend who's mad and drunk and wants to mm-hmm. fist fight. Mm-hmm. And I just really like that this character is in this liminal space between childhood and adult- adulthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he immediately is like, okay, this is it. This is the thing. Because when you're that age, everything is the end of the world, sure. right? It's like anything. Like, you know, there's like, you break up with your high school sweetheart or whatever, and it's like, I'll never, I'll never love again. Yeah, or you know? I can't go to this place or that place because they might be there. Like your whole life is yeah. just carved yeah. around this emotion that you're feeling. Uh, not to say that it's not valid, but. Right. You don't have a lot of context when you're 16 because, sure. sure. you know, kids are idiots. Adults are idiots, but kids are a different kind of idiot. Um, <laughs> the difference is kids just don't know it yet. Yeah, exactly. I walk around knowing yeah, the depths know of my I'm insanity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, really, really liked that twist a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you buy into it too because so far everything Jeffrey has said has been the truth. Mm-hmm. So and we think. Assume, yeah, assume that's the same thing. And the way it comes whipping around the corner, like, absolutely, it seems like it. Yeah. Um, so it turns out it's Mike Shaw, the, the boyfriend. Is the last name? The ex-boyfriend, yep. Um, Mike threatens to beat Jeffrey for stealing his girlfriend. Dorothy appears. Oh, and this like Okay. From here on out, I was, like, down for this movie. Yeah. Up, <laughs> and, <laughs> up until, honestly... Probably like up until the dance, I was like, I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing here. Like, what story am I hearing? Who Interest- cares? Interesting, because this is where like 
I feel like I start to fade away like a little bit. Like weird to me, it all builds up to the the joyride scene. And then this stuff is great. Don't get me wrong, but like no, I I think that just sort of speaks to like what we you and I think are interesting in storytelling and movies. Like all for me, all I want is like just two people sitting in a room having an interesting conversation, and mm. I can watch a movie about that for the rest of my life. I I, I just like I like the emotional attachment. I like the fear or mm-hmm. the mystery. Yeah. Or the, yeah. Um. So. So Mike is threatening Jeffrey. And then all of a sudden, Dorothy appears fully nude on on Jeffrey's and porch. And literally just appears. Yeah. Like what you, was... You, you, do you have an understanding of, like, magic in this Blue Velvet universe? Uh, well, I don't, what don't just, you mean. Did she... When you say she just appears... No, well, the thing is, the whole scene is shot... They're yelling at each other back and forth from across the street in one big wide shot. Uh-huh. But the action is down bottom frame towards the right like mm-hmm. bottom right of the frame is where all the action is so that's where you're looking and she comes in top left so you're just mm-hmm. not even looking in that area of the frame and that whole area is dark it's by an empty house right so there's nothing, nothing going on there so yeah. yes you're not and then she just comes in there and you get to the point where you don't realize how long she was there yeah before anyone on screen notices right. her which I think is really interesting because it could have very easily been a cutaway of her walking up mm-hmm. and then oh we all know but like yeah it's just so much more interesting that like holy shit how long it's like when you see a good horror movie where there's someone standing in the background oh, and you don't realize that there's somebody fucking, been there um, the whole fucking time Hunting hill house is everything oh, for that times. yeah 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 um, um and they but this this image is something that clearly has been with david lynch Many, many, many years. Oh, We've talked sure. about this before where yeah. he tells the story about him and his brother sitting out on the street and a completely naked, bloody woman mm-hmm. just walks up saying, I need help. Mm-hmm. And they never know what happened to And her. they don't know what happened. And he was a child. He went and got his parents and whatever. But, like, that's an image obviously sticks with you. Right. And he felt it was a... It was a beautiful image, not, I don't mean beautiful in like beautiful, but like beautiful in like a powerful image mm-hmm. and an image that is worth putting in other people's heads. Awe-inspiring. Yeah, or... it's, it was, yeah, a a big image. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a word for it and I can't yeah, I come don't, up with I it. Don't... It's really bothering me. Um, it's sublime is the word I was looking for and I know it from lit class in college that it was the word used for um, something that was so awe-inspiring you could not possibly take it all in at once. Mm. So the um, the example she used in class, which for better or for worse mm-hmm. sticks with me, is the... Um, did Kenneth Branagh do a Frankenstein? Yes. Okay, there is one scene when probably Kenneth Branagh is like you see him climbing like on a mountain like this. I think it's the Kenneth Branagh directed the Robert De Niro 
Frankenstein. Oh, I think you might be right. Okay, then somebody's... I think, I think Kenneth Branagh directed that. Yes, yeah. I think you're correct. But somebody's crawling up, like, an icy slope, and the camera pans out, and all of a sudden you realize it's not like they're on a hill. They're on a fucking mountain, and it's so big, and this person uh, is so impossibly tiny on this mountain. It's that idea of, like, yeah. how can something be so big, and how can I, human, be so fucking small and meaningless? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think of Sublime, and I just think of that... Really I practice Santeria. God, I fucking hate that band. I miss a ball. I sang that at a bar for a while. Yeah, that was a bad idea. Spin it all. <laughs> I, one of my favorite things I read, I, somebody posted something online at one point about how, like, I think one of my favorite things that's ever happened in music history is when Bradley Knoll says, I, I I can play guitar like a motherfucking riot and then plays the blandest <laughs> solo of all time. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, um, this image is a powerful image. It's yeah. a really trick to the point where like the reaction to seeing this, the mic guy just turns and is like, cause, cause Jeffrey makes a beeline over to her. Grab, Come with me. I love take Mike's care of you. reaction. I'll take, and he's like, "Oh shit!" No, but immediately he's first, like, "At first, he's like, is that, is your, that mom? your mom?" And then he realize, I then he doesn't know what's going on. Mike he's just like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't know what's show. going. I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And he and then he's looking for like his credit of like, "I'm saying so. Like, do, do you do you um, do you forget? Is it okay? Can you forgive me?" And like he's so, and they're just like, "You're not even. You have no importance anymore." Yeah. And they're You're piling in her into the car. Sandy's putting her like shawl over her. Can I post something that I think is uniquely Lynchian? Of course. Um, and I this is like I'm kind of synthesizing it on the spot, so so bear with me for a second. But that's why we do this. I think one of Lynch's things, right? One of his storytelling moments is kids who cause trouble. And, you know, kids, you know, you graffiti, you stay out late, you do whatever, you drink beer and you smoke weed. When kids suddenly take a step beyond childish antics into real world consequences. Because that's to me what this this feels like. And I think my This scene, this movie. This movie. Okay. This scene, I think, is a good example of, like, this Mike kid is trying to like be big and bad and like threaten mm -hmm. him. But as soon as it's real, capital R real, this is a woman having a breakdown. She, mm -hmm. It's not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. This isn't a goof. He's immediately like, fuck, 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 fuck. And I think that's the thing we see in Twin Peaks a lot. Like I think Laura Palmer's yeah. her whole story is teenage antics, except for they went three steps too far. Um, and I think that that lands through here too of you know Kyle McLaughlin's character is like oh I'm playing kind of Encyclopedia Browning and a snake in her mm -hmm. her house and 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 how are, and are you talking about how that is unique to kids or because I, I feel like part of becoming an adult and and when he tells his coming of age stories like this like part of being an adult is understanding those things and I think the thing that jumps out to me right now when you said that is the moment in Twin Peaks where Donna's back with Doc Hayward in the car and he's like, now, you ran, you went out after curfew, you did this shit you weren't supposed to do, 
The whole town was looking for you. People are in jail now. But the real issue at hand is you promised your little sister you'd put air in her tires. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, he, he gets that it's kids being kids yeah. and she learned her lesson mm-hmm. and I don't need to fucking punish her anymore. Mm-hmm. She's there. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between children and adults. Yeah, I, I think that's well put. I, I I think a lot of us have moments in our lives that you know it's kidding around and like you're fighting with your friends and it's this and it's that and like it feels and it feels really dramatic and then one thing happens that like oh shit the cops are here now or like this isn't oh I'm in trouble with my mom or Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be able to go to summer school it is like there's actual real consequences to my actions like I feel like I had that extremely young which is probably why I am deeply afraid of authority figures not anymore Mm -hmm. I hate cops but like when I was little, like in elementary school, maybe six or seven, I was at the junior high for my bro- my older brother was, I think, wrestling or playing basketball or whatever. And me and a bunch of kids were just like roaming around the school, like, which is totally a thing we did of mm-hmm. like, we would, you know, you go for like junior high basketball game and then all the little siblings would just like fucking form a roving gang <laughs> and see who's yeah. like, see what teachers are still there they can harass. Um, and there's a payphone, and we were all like hitting mm. things, and somebody dialed nine one one, and officer, yeah, of course you did. I did like that I, at I a feel like venture superstores, and yes, exactly. As we were pulling out, so we're like fire truck, ambulance, couple police cars, mm-hmm. and I I knew that was me, and it just sat with me. I was terrified. When was the first time you like admitted to somebody that you did that? I don't remember. It was. I mean, it, it was only. A I was probably eight or eight-ish. I was, that feels like something I would have carried with me until I was like 30 I, and, and I finally like, told my therapist. I feel like we <laughs> talked about it later or it was one of those things that like everyone already knew. Mm. You know, I, I don't remember, but everyone kind of knows that story now. Yeah. So I don't remember. It wasn't like I held on to it for sure. 20 years. Like people knew about it. Mm. Like my siblings know about it. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, that night a cop came in and was just like very sternly like nine one is not a thing you fuck with. Yeah. He didn't say that. I don't think it was. Nah, well, not I just, it was yeah. It's the thing that nobody taught us that like nine one one still dials even if you don't put money in. Well, and it's funny because that was my thing is that I didn't think it would do anything because I didn't put any did. money in. And yeah. what's the funniest number besides 69 for 20? And what's I the third know, funniest number? And I was eight. I didn't know either of those numbers were funny. <laughs> But but yeah, I, I feel like um, Laura Palmer's story falls into that a lot. My of funniest number is the one that spells boobless upside down. Yeah, <laughs> five five three. Anyway, yeah. um, I just think that's Laura Palmer's whole story is it started with like, oh, I'm cheating on my boyfriend mm-hmm. with this sort of bad boy, and all of a sudden I'm, you know, being Battling. My life being again. sexually yeah. trafficked in in yeah. Canada or yeah. whatever, like I I just think that seems to be a um a low key theme in in David yeah, Lynch's that's, work. That's fair. Um. So, um, although as I think that was a little bit early in his like his later in his career, it he doesn't deal with young younger people anymore. 
You know what but I mean? I think high school is the appropriate age well, to right. understand the difference between like I skipped class so I can't play football and he doesn't deal with high school characters beyond Twin Peaks, really. I mean Sandy's a Sandy's in high school. And this is pre Twin Peaks. What are you saying to me then? You're saying that's just a very Lynchian thing, but I'm saying oh, we that don't ends we, at Twin Peaks. That, yeah, we don't go back to that because we don't deal with high school characters. I see anymore. what you mean. Okay. Um, okay, so Dorothy is I was gonna say hysterical. That's very old fashioned of me, but she's not She's dazed, she's totally out of it. Yeah. She's she's absolutely in shock. Absolutely. Um and to the point where like she gets into the car, she gets back they cover her up and she looks up at, at one point and goes, Jeffrey? Mm-hmm. Like she didn't even realize he was the one who grabbed her, right. pulled her in, brought her into the car. Like, right. yeah. Um, and so Sandy realizes that Dorothy and Jeffrey have some kind of relationship. Something. Yeah. Um, she slaps him. Uh, Jeffrey asks Sandy to tell her father everything and Detective Williams, so that's Sandy's father, leads a police raid on Frank's headquarters, killing his men and crippling his criminal empire. Okay, I think this is maybe where I blinked out a little bit. I don't remember this raid. So that is what's happening while Jeffrey's going to Dorothy's apartment. So end of yes, end yes, of the, yes, the yes, house yes, scene, yes, yes. Jeffrey says, I'm going to Dorothy's. I'm going to try and get there first. Tell your father to come there. Tell your father to come there. Mm-hmm. I'm going right there. She can't get a hold of her father because he's in the middle of this raid. Right. But so that's why Jeffrey gets there alone and sees Donald and Yellow Man yeah. standing. Um, so great. So um, Detective Williams leads a police raid in Frank's headquarters, kills his men, cripples his criminal empire. Read that already. Jeffrey returns alone to Dorothy's apartment where he discovers her husband dead and the Yellow Man mortally wounded. Who oh boy. This was my favorite moment of this movie and perhaps any lynch thing ever mm. it that yellow man teetering with the brain like and i am not a gore person mm. i don't think gore is cool like it's just not my jam but like he's a man who's been shot in the head and is still standing up it's the possibly the eeriest thing i've ever i or, or stabbed in that whatever it was but yeah yeah whatever it's something happened in his brain that's suboptimal but he still has like some impulses because his reflexes but that's your cerebral cortex right like that's right down here when the radio goes off his arm scared the flops up and he swats away that lamp which crashes over which is how many pillows did i throw when that happened like (laughs) i full-on like exploded like a piece of popcorn it scared me so bad (laughs) oh oh, so scary oh i loved this i love this and has got the this the, the blue slack, velvet falling off it well, in he his has mouth. The, the blue velvet, and then he pulls out, and he still has that, like, slack jaw. Like, just yeah. a full, wide-open maw. Oh, my God. It was so creepy. I absolutely yeah. loved every second of it. And the, God, the blood running down him onto his yellow jacket. And it, Jesus and it's Christ. Active. You can still see it drip from time yes, to time. Yes, and the fact great. that and I was really locked in on this, because I was trying to figure out who was dead and who was not, and what the fuck was going on with this man who was standing. And so I was watching him really closely and just seeing him like, you know, like everybody knows I feel like if you're standing on your feet for too long and you kind of do that sway thing mm-hmm. to just like change the weight on your feet. 
and just the way he did that kind of forward and back and it was so subtle yeah, that's and I could not take my eyes off But that's what's interesting is he doesn't go left to right. He goes it's forward, forward and back. back. Which I think makes sense with how your body is sort of... Yeah. Like your ankles are more... want yeah. to go forward and back. Oh boy, that scared the shit out of me. I loved it so much. Yeah, like genuinely, I'm not sure if I liked the rest of this movie but this moment was 12,000% worth it. It was... My perfect amount of scary. I loved it. 12 out of 10. No <laughs> notes, David Lynch. Um, yeah, honestly, the, the last 10 minutes of this movie I adored. Yeah. And it, I and I agree. I, I think this whole sequence is incredible also. Um, so at the moment Jeffrey leaves the apartment, Frank arrives. Um, so they see and each Jeffrey other. Jeffrey has the moment where he decides he's going to leave mm-hmm. and says, I'll let the police find you. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then he, was he just... starts to go down the stairs. And then you get that. That was another spot where you jumped is. When he looked when he, up. When he, li- when he steps around the corner of the stairs and looks up and they kind of snap zoom at and him. That, like if there's a winding staircase yeah. that's In sort a little of... gap and it's. Oh, so scary. Dennis Hopper and the, and the fact, creepy mustache. Yeah. And, the fa- and I didn't even clock right away that it was Dennis oh, Hopper. Yeah. I just was so shocked at how weird he looked like it was very mm-hmm. it and was, you're just not expecting to see somebody you're not expecting to see somebody and also david fincher is not like lynch. the most fuck me and also david lynch is not the most like subtle person with makeup sometimes and so like if that was just how that character looked i would kind of take the ride with it because david lynch has yeah, told I mean, me that like he looks like big ed when he puts on the costume and <laughs> to go to jacks yeah um but yeah those just like dense eyebrows loved it loved that moment um, so he chases them into the apartment. This was mean, Meanwhile, good... Jeffrey has also pulled the the CB out of the Yellow radio. Man's jacket, um, says, hey, and starts to call the... He says, 10-4, good buddy. William, yeah, try, starts to call Williams and, say, and realizes halfway through calling him, like, oh, fuck. Clearly, based on the fact that I pulled this from this guy's... But he has a, he's connected mm-hmm. to the same frequency... But then continues to say where he is so that yeah. he can go hide, and then he hides in the closet. And he leaves the radio. He says, "I'm in the back bedroom." Leaves the radio there. Yeah. Scoots out back to the the closet where where it all began. Yeah, really and truly, that's yeah. It's. Um, and meanwhile, I really loved the berating Frank was doing of like, "I can hear." So it stupid. was kind of El Pacino-y. But the way did you get an El Pacino vibe? <sighs> You're so fucking stupid. That no, is. but he, the way, the way Hopper says fuck and fucker is yeah. so. Pointed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's you, you fucker. Yeah. Like it's, he's got this just, yeah. And which is a very, you know, latter era Pacino thing. Yeah. Which, God, what a great actor who just, in my opinion, went to shit and overacts the fuck out of everything. I bet it's really fun to do though, huh? Probably it just—it just seems really honestly. Fun, I don't think he's really done anything good past The Godfather, but well, I mean, eighty-eight minutes was oh, a masterpiece. God, awful. Uh, um, anyway, so um, he, and so as soon as Frank goes back when he and he's berating him, sure, of course, yeah, I know time. where you are, you and he's idiot. He's pulling off his wig while yeah. he's doing it, and yeah, um, and he gets in the back bedroom, realizes, like, finds the microfo- microphone. Yep. walkie-talkie um and while he's back there jeffrey like sneaks out grabs the gun out of mm-hmm. 
the yellow man's jacket, which again, so scary. Oh God, that yellow man scares me so hard. Um, and you don't know the guy could like grab at his hand or yeah, yeah, yeah. so tense. Um, and then back to the closet. Back to the closet. I don't know why he didn't just shoot him through the closet. That was very stressful because for me. Because he's a nineteen-year-old kid and he's terrified. Well, you think a, seeing him face to face is gonna make him less terrified? Yeah, because you don't shoot until you're in oh, it's imminent danger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. I don't. He's not. He doesn't want to be the guy who shoots him through the closet. Like, sure. He's waiting till if hey, he might not look in the closet, and I'm fine. Right. I don't want to have to murder somebody. Right. But I will protect myself if I need to. Um. So he kills Frank. <laughs> they do this. Um, I like this because there's. You remember Burn After Reading? You've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. They. I've seen a hot minute though. They do this almost this same sequence, opposite. Where, do you remember Brad Pitt? Spoilers on Burn After Reading. It's been on a long time. He's hiding in the closet. And he gets He's shot. hiding in the closet. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt looks over, realizes. Oh wait, the gun holster's in this closet. There's no gun in it. Then looks forward and realizes George Clooney's walking to the closet, and he opens the closet door. And, and Brad Pitt does that weird smirk, and then George Clooney freaks out and shoots him in the face. Yeah. And then there's a really graphic face, face explosion, yeah. but it's on the opposite way. Like yeah. he shoots yeah. into the closet instead of out of the closet. But it's almost I guarantee Coen Brothers were making reference to yeah. Velvet. Um, Sandy and Detective Williams arrive to help. Which? Why the fuck is Sandy there? It's irresponsible. It's yeah, so irresponsible. That's, that's honest. Like, uh, there's so much great shit. Maybe there's some potential plot holes or we leapt to, you know, reasons for things. But that's one of the few things of like, if he was any kind of cop, he would He's not any kind ha- of human. Right. He would not have brought his fucking daughter right. to a potentially active crime scene. Right. Right. Um, so the end is Jeffrey and Sandy continuing the relationship. Jo- Dorothy is reunited with her son. But yeah, but then also like you, so you see um, Dorothy with her child and Dorothy looks great here. Mm-hmm. So it's, she's, supposed do you to look- think, here's a thought. Do you think the insane makeup is a candy-colored clown. Do you think it's makeup yeah, that he guess. makes her wear because, for whatever reason, candy-colored clown has some weird fucking meaning to him? I. It's not that I think you're wrong. It's just that, like, the colors she wear, she's wearing don't feel candy-colored to me. She's wearing bright blue eyes and uh, bright the, the, red lips. But, like... I feel like a soft blue is more candy-like because that's like if you think of cotton candy, it's like a soft blue yeah, and not it's like a an... clown. It's like clown makeup. You yeah, know? I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just mm. that's not what I. She's the thing I just thought of right now because she's barely wearing makeup at, at the all end in that yeah. last scene, which leads yeah, you I mean, to believe that whatever. Like, I, I don't doubt that yeah, the makeup like, was the, part of the wig, even though it's basically her same hair. Was a wig that Frank makes her wear. Right. You know, all of that is shit he does. You're right. I mean, um, he keeps telling her to put on that blue velvet robe. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, it feels like a psycho, like the movie Psycho, he's trying to recreate his own mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Um, 
Okay. Well, I have run out of gas and run out of things to say. Um, any? What's your overall take then on, on Blue Velvet as far as movies that we've watched post mm. Twin Peaks? Like, so we've got Elephant Man, uh-huh. or sorry, Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune, Blue Velvet. I would say Elephant Man, Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, Dune. Um, and I want to be clear. It's not that I didn't like it. I wasn't captured by it the way sometimes hmm. David Lynch can do for me. Interesting. Um, I am curious to watch it again, but like after some time passes. Okay. Like I do think that because even thinking back to like, oh, him throwing the rocks. All I was thinking about was like Tibetan rock throwing thing. Yeah. But like, oh, no, that was a really good, a really smart reason for him to be shuffling around in the grass. Sure. Like, I think I will. I will appreciate things like that more. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts from you? No. Um, What's your next I, movie? I, if I were ranking, I would say. Oh yeah. Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune. So far, I. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, but Wild at Heart is next. Wild at Heart is next, and we'll record probably if with if Jeff they're and, down. We might. Yeah. They. Said they're happy they? to. Okay. Um, we're going to be in Kentucky Fourth of July weekend. Um, we to bring bring this equipment then. Right. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, okay. Cool. I I enjoyed that. I'm kind of stoked to get into this phase of David Lynch's career. Um, I oh, wait, is, think is Wild at Heart next or Storyville next? I have Wild we at can, Heart. We can invert them if we need to because I know Storyville is after Wild at Heart. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I cool. enjoy this. I'm excited to like get to this part of, of David Lynch's career and kind of get to like, not darker, obviously we raise our head. It was dark as fuck, but just well, like, he's, he's got creative control now and yeah, he's making yeah. David Lynch movies, yeah. not studio pictures. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, then we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Okey-doke. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Bloomke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.